Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women by sharing their unique stories and empower a community through the mission and their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, a former school teacher and principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. Each week, we will feature stories from women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome back to the In Awe Podcast and our series on resolve. In this month, we are featuring women I would characterize as gentle in their fierce resolve to make an impact on our world and to become their best version in the process. Each woman has inspired me in this series, and I am excited to share today's guest with you all. Amanda Spite is the principal at Sunshine Early Education Center in the greater Kansas City area. She has served as a teacher and assistant principal in her career. Amanda is passionate about conscious discipline and is resolved to impact learners in her care and the adults she leads in significant ways. Amanda is a mother and a wife and a faith-filled leader resolved to be unapologetically passionate about her purpose. In this episode, we learn how Amanda got into teaching, why she chose administration, and how she continues to lead with passion and purpose despite the challenges in inherent in leadership. She shares her own resolve to lead well, and we learn several ways we too can resolve ourselves to lead with more focus, passion, and love for our people. I am honored to share with you Amanda Spite's resolve story. Welcome Amanda Spite to the In Awe Podcast. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you and share you with my listeners. Thank you for having me. So Amanda, I went ahead and I gave your bio at the beginning of this podcast, but I want to make sure that you get an opportunity to just share a little bit about your context and what you're up to in this world so that the listeners hear it from your perspective. Yeah, I am a principal of an early childhood center in the greater Kansas City area, and I was previously a principal in an elementary setting, also in the greater Kansas City area. I really am passionate about early childhood for many reasons. Number one, because I feel like we have such an opportunity to kind of train parents up and really provide that strong foundation for the child, but also because of what I know about early childhood brain development. Like we are quite literally wiring a child's brain for success for the rest of their life. And so with that, I um, really have the unique opportunity to focus on building strong social emotional skills. And that's really what my passion is. I, I always tell people I'm unapologetically passionate about my purpose. And I feel like this is my purpose. Oh, well, so you just went ahead and gave us a little bit of an insight into why we're having you featured on the Resolve series. And I love how you said that you are unapologetic about your passionate purpose. Mm -hmm. Correct? Yeah, Yeah, that's it. And so for my listeners that aren't quite aware of the difference between early childhood and elementary, can you just kind of give us like an age range in regard to what that looks like in Kansas? <laughs> well, um, my school serves preschool, um, but that also encompasses early, early, so infant and toddlers. So we serve, um, it could be birth if it's a foster placement, but typically six weeks to five years of age in my building. Oh my goodness. See, I'm so glad I asked you that question because here in Wisconsin, when I hear early childhood, I'm thinking, you know, we have like our social, I'm sorry, our county has birth to three and that's considered a separate programming. And in our public school systems, you probably see, you know, ages three and up. And then we have like a 4K system. So that just helps me frame and understand a little bit better about the clientele that you have. That's amazing. Yeah. Something else unique about the clientele is I'm 
I have three different programs in my building. We have early Head Start, we have Head Start, and then we have early childhood special education in addition to just the parent pay program, which is a unique dynamic in itself. So all of um, the families that qualify for our program come to us with adverse social experiences um, or significant developmental delays. And so um, everyone in our program is there for a reason. And I always tell people we exist to serve the most vulnerable Mm, that is really beautiful. And it just gives me a lot of respect for what you're saying in regard to the resolve to have a passionate purpose. And I also know um, that you are heavily focused on this and have had kind of a career long passion with this um, idea of social emotional learning. And so I want to unpack that a little bit if you're willing so that we can give a little education to listeners who may not be fully aware of what this looks like, but also so that you can teach me a little because, um, you know, I, I'm fascinated about what the role would look like for a principal in that, because again, I mean, in our public school systems, it's very different. And so when you say a parent pay program, so is that like, um, parents can elect to come and bring kids to you almost like a daycare setting or what, what is that? Yes. So it's a fee-based program. Ah. So, um, the, in every three to five classroom, we have 15 slots is what we call them for families that qualify. So they have, um, adverse social experiences are below an income guideline And then we have a couple slots, like two, for parent pay. Um, With our infant and toddler, it's usually like six slots to qualify and then two parent pay. And then early childhood special ed is all, um, of course, free uh, based on their state criteria. Okay. So that's wonderful. Thank you for that context. And it gives me just a little bit more insight into you and into the the role that you serve. But, you know, I'm excited for the listeners to hear a little bit more about you in regard to how you got to that point in your journey, because I think there's a big story here. So when we talk about resolve, I want you to be able to unpack how in the world did Amanda Spite end up being the principal at this early childhood center? Like what's your education journey? Yeah, I am a first generation college graduate. And so I actually, this kind of wild, started school at age four. Um, My father was in the Marine Corps. And so being from California, you could start school at four then. So I started at four which is wild for a kindergartner. And then I ended up graduating high school young at 17 for that reason. Um, My parents didn't feel comfortable with me going off to a big college. And quite honestly, I wasn't. And so I started out at community college, did my two years there, um, started working in schools and then transferred to a university. And at the university, it was big and I had no college experience. My family didn't have college experience. And so I actually spent three years at a university in addition to my two years. And they told me it would be three more years. And so at that point, 
I was like, this is not working for me. I need to advocate for myself. And so I transferred back home to a night program for working adults and finished my degree. And ultimately, I feel like that was um, all for a purpose because in doing so, I got certified for early childhood elementary special education. And I actually had a reading intervention certificate when I finished, but it took me seven years to finish my bachelor's nonstop. Oh my goodness. Isn't that interesting how it almost sounds like I do the math, it, it would have been close to the same had you stayed, but your experience was so different. Yeah. And to go oh, to have all those certifications that are assisting you now in being able to serve your community is really beautiful. And so that's a lot of resolve when you think about it like that. That's a lot of different factors when you're setting out into this world in that space of, you know, trying to seek a degree. And I'm curious, what trained your eye in the first place on education since your first college or first year college? I can't even say that first generation college student. What was it that got you focused on education? I distinctly remember, and for I went to a lot of different schools being military. Um, so I went to like four different schools in five different districts in two states for um, kindergarten and first grade. And I remember the last first grade school I landed at. And I was I was the only one that wasn't reading. And so I had a teacher, Miss Pross, who was working on, I guess, a reading degree, my mom tells me. And she stayed after school every day to teach me how to read. And so um, from there, I just, I always liked being in charge. I was the oldest. <laughs> and so I learned to read and I thought I was going to teach my sister to read. And I wrote my name on our bedroom door and blamed my sister and then had such resolve that I (laughs) gave her a pin and tried to demonstrate for my parents that she did in fact write my name on the door. So um, I've been persistent for a while, I guess. That's awesome. But it's so, I mean, it, stories like this always really inspire me to think you wanted to be in education since you were that young. I mean, that's, it's not, I don't, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I haven't done a lot of research on this. It just doesn't feel super common. And it's really kind of beautiful to see that circle back into this early space of learning that you're serving learners like that. And the educators that hold them is amazing to me. Yeah. Okay. So you're also quite young. And the reason I say that is because I was a young principal. And so I feel like I can say that without offending you too much, but <laughs> maybe not. No, not at so all. a question on that, like what, what got you so resolved to be in a leadership capacity at a youthful age? Because I know my own experience, um, you know, people think most of the time you get into the principalship to what are the stereotypes to pad your retirement or because there's nothing else for you to, I mean, like, obviously you had a resolve to be a leader. And so can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I think this is where my seven years of undergraduate came into play. Um, I worked in school districts as classified staff. And I was actually in a leadership role. And so at like 23, 24, I was supervising 10 staff and responsible for 150 kids in a before and after program. And so I naturally, like I just had those experiences because it took me so long to get my degree. And my first teaching position was a special education teacher. And 
initially I was hired as a class within a class. So I would go in and co-teach with teachers, with students with disabilities in the class. But then I also equally had students um, who had been diagnosed with emotional disturbances and had really big behaviors. And so in those roles, I felt like I was coaching and supporting teachers on strategies. And my first year as a teacher, there was an opportunity to be a literacy leader or, and that was like a professional development role that you had to interview for. And so I interviewed for it and got it. And I was like, I really kind of like doing professional development. I like coaching teachers. And so my third year of teaching, I was like, I think it's time to start my master's degree. And with having all the certifications that I already had, I knew that I didn't want to just get a curriculum and instruction degree. I wanted to get something that would provide me more opportunity to have greater influence. And so I entered um, the master's degree and I still remember the first night of class, everyone was going around sharing what they wanted to do with their leadership degree. And everyone was real humble about it. They're like, I might be a process coordinator or an instructional coach. And it came to me and I was like, I want to be a principal. Like, why are <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but I signed up to be a principal. That's why I'm here. <laughs> Spent that first year in the program just soaking everything up and then got my first offer to be a summer school principal and then my first assistant principal gig after that. So I was 27 when all that rolled out. That's awesome. And so now I feel like I shouldn't ask you how long you've been in it because then we would do the big age reveal, but I think it's at least six years as you... Um, well, I got a count. So I taught three years. I was an assistant for two principal, elementary principal for three, and I'm on my second year of early childhood. So I've been principaling for seven years. <laughs> it's funny how fast that goes. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And, um, you know, I've actually, it's interesting because just today I engaged in three different conversations with three very different people about how challenging the role of the principal is because leadership is hard and leadership in any realm is challenging. And there's so much that you don't expect um, to encounter when you have idealized what it might be like to, you know, lead a crew and, and champion for change and all this. And, and I think leadership is amazing, but I think there's something so particularly challenging about the principalship that I think people who are in it understand. And I think it's just resolved to continue to be passionate and to be unapologetic about your purpose. And so is there anything in particular that kind of keeps you resolved to stay in it, to grow in it, and to um, keep pushing forward for the people you serve? Absolutely. Um, first and foremost, I would say my faith um, and having those like really healthy ways to process things, um, using truth and journaling. But equally, I have been so blessed with people who just see the best in me and are able to encourage me and help me to stay the course whenever I'm like, I really think the building's on fire and the wheels are falling off. Like, get me an ex <laughs> like a fire extinguisher isn't going to help this. So, I just have those people that um, help me to stay the course. And I think being connected to those people um, 
personally and professionally have made all of the difference because without the calling on my life and those connections, I surely would have quit by now. Yeah. And I think that's so good for you to say. And truly, I do believe that leadership in particularly is a calling and it's a challenge and one that we rise to. And I know that you're doing that with a lot of courage. And though we may we wouldn't peel apart every single piece of that, I really value the fact that you are heralding the message that it really is who you surround yourself with. I mean, you need those reminders. We need those reminders that we can do hard things and that we are called to that. Not everybody is. And so I'm proud of you. And I I'm, I'm really in awe of you and inspired by you. And so I'm grateful that you would share that message that it's not only your faith too, that's huge. Um, and I love how you said that you process things in a healthy manner uh, because again, I think those of us uh, in serving professions can tend to get to coping that is not so healthy. And I've shared about that myself, my own struggles and some of the things I've written about. And so it's really good, um, you know, to keep doing that. Would you give an example of something that you would say is either, you know, faith-based or something that you do to process the stress? Yeah. Um, one thing that I do is, um, like I always look to scripture to help process and like find the truth. So I feel unworthy, like what, what truth can I align that with? Or I can't do this. Well, no, I can't do this. I have, it's not me. It's not about me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so that would be one thing. But the other thing is I've had um, this incredible mentor, Jill Moley. Um, she's a conscious discipline master instructor. And she taught me um, to name the feeling well, first and foremost, get curious about what you're feeling. And so if you have a situation and you're feeling shame, well, like peel back the layers. Shame's not a feeling. That's what comes to the top after you haven't dealt with sadness or disappointment or another feeling. And so she taught me to get curious about it. And so um, through doing that, I've been able to name the feeling, claim it, and then tame it. And so... Most recently, probably two weeks ago, and to be honest, I've spent a couple of weeks processing this. I had a situation, it was beyond anger. It was like a rage. And whenever I kind of peeled back the layers, I realized it hit on my core values. And that's why it triggered me so deeply. And once I identified that it was like where I felt that, like I felt it in my large muscle group. So then that cued me, I need to work out. And so, um, I did that. I prayed. I've journaled. I called on those people that helped me stay the course and just really focused on those healthy, healthy things to help me see, okay, what's actionable? What can I do with this now? Um, it wouldn't have been helpful for me to just, you know, go vent to someone or go shopping, which I do enjoy. <laughs> but I just really had to kind of sit with those feelings and see like, what is it? Well, really beneath the rage, I'm disappointed because what I thought was isn't. And that's a hard feeling to grapple with. And so that really helped me. Mm, and you're sounding so wise right now. I love that this mentor gave this to you and sounds a lot like Brene Brown's work as I'm listening. Um, yeah, and we're, we're uh, look, you know, looking at the story that we're telling ourselves and, and peeling apart those feelings is really good. And um, 
I just value so much hearing that in real time from you as a practicing leader who is reaching out and doing those steps, because I do believe those are the things that are going to keep us not only in the game, but they're going to keep us healthy, as you said. So processing all of that in a really good way. And so you mentioned uh, conscious discipline. You want to talk a little bit about that? Because I know it's a passion area for you. Yeah, Um, it is a social, emotional program, or I don't even like to call it a program. It's really a philosophy. But what's different with conscious discipline is um, in addition to being brain based, so identifying what brain state and understanding that brain state dictates behavior. um, It's an adult first model. And so adults can't teach skills that they don't possess. And we understand that whenever it comes to academia, like chemistry or mathematics. But I found that whenever it comes to social skills or emotional regulation, we're not as willing to endeavor to learn those skills. It feels a lot more personal. Um, And I think that's where the game changer is because social emotional isn't just feelings, it's attention, time management, organization, prioritization, um, all of those things. And as an adult, and as a leader that's been working on this for a while, I know whenever my brain is stressed, I can't initiate a task, I will just like fumble around, moving papers around and not achieve anything. And I'm like, and I know. And so whenever you think about that, then I can look at my son or the children that I work with, or even the adults that I work with, I can't teach them a skill that I don't have. And so um, that's what conscious discipline is about is um, just being conscious of your thoughts, feelings and behavior, so that you can lend skills and be composed and kind of rewrite those patterns because ultimately our outer language to children or each other becomes the other person's inner language. And so that's what the big difference for me is focusing on the adults first and especially in the setting that I'm in having 60 plus staff members that work very closely together with such small people. A couple of connections to this one in the messages that I've shared with the uh, balance going beyond balance. I had a phenomenal elementary principal send me the conscious discipline book. And she's like, you got to check this out because this is really what you're talking about. And I did not um, know that at the time. And it's something as a building leader that I I mean, I did some toward the end, but did not foster as much Um, this idea that how are we expecting adults to kind of guide and and teach? It doesn't matter what level we're at, by the way, high school, middle, elementary. Um, You know, how are we expecting that you're putting them in some of the most stressful conditions? I mean, truly, uh, because you've got, you know, dynamic group of individual complicated souls in front of you. They're trying to teach, you know, algebra or um, thesis statements too. And they've all got stuff going on like, and, and in any given moment. And yet we do too, as, as humans, you know, that's just the human condition. You've got, you know, you left the house mm-hmm. late because you had a fight with a spouse or your own kids or um, spilled coffee on your pants and had to go back, whatever, all these things that we, you know, like deal with in a day. Right. And most days we can handle those, but on uh, when we're not self-regulated, we really can't. And then how do we expect 
teaching and learning to happen in our classrooms if that's not possible. So I love that. And it also is kind of reminiscent of a woman I had on the podcast last month in the generosity series with Dr. Jody Carrington, when she talked about kids these days and she's a clinical psychologist. And she was saying that we need to make sure those that are holding our babies are okay. Cause they're, we're, if they're not okay, our kids aren't okay. Absolutely. And so it's kind of sounds like that same really resonant message um, that's coming out more and more. And I love it. Yeah. That um, early attachment and attunement is like the cradle of all social skills. And it's, it's so important. Well, and you're also faced with that, you know, interesting challenge where you have, I get it, like early childhood, that's quite a range of age though. And you're talking about babies <laughs> and teaching the adults and they have, you know, I'm sure they come in with highly qualified um, credentials. But again, I, I think it's really cool that you're in a space where you've had this passion for a long time and now you can bring that knowledge um, in your leadership to the people who need it so that the students and the kids can really be um, benefited from that. So I'm proud of you. I, it's exciting. It's good to hear. It's like, it doesn't, it shouldn't be pioneering work, but I think we're kind of like coming at this space in education where it's becoming a focus, but it sounds like you've been on it for a while. Yeah. Something else that's unique in my setting is that I only have four certified teachers in my whole building. Oh, wow. <laughs> so talk about that a little bit. Being a Head Start program, all of the staff are classified. So I only the early childhood special education teachers have education degrees. A lot of the staff have maybe a child development degree or some coursework um, like in a related field like social work or um, maybe psychology, but I only have four certificated staff members. And so that also presents, I'm sure, some interesting challenges as well. And um, of course, as we all know, sometimes, you know, a license and a, and a, a degree doesn't always equal effectiveness, but it sure is nice to help uh, have all that <laughs> background knowledge. Oh my goodness. That's so interesting. So I think, you know, and I would say too, that it gives me um, even more respect to think about again, this idea of resolve and how uh, dedicated you are, because as you said, um, I think the building's on fire somewhere. I think that could happen in any, uh, I can think about 1000 situations that you're probably put in in a given week that <laughs> make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. I love it. Okay. Well, um, Amanda, I just think that you are such a fascinating person and I'm just, I am totally glad that we got to connect. I found you to be a very um, brilliant thinker and a wise thinker and a person who just has a deep set of values and wisdom about them. And I'd love to hear what your response would be. Um, and I know my listeners will enjoy this too. If you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what do you think you would say to yourself? I would, without a doubt, tell myself that I can do hard things and have the hard conversations. I would tell myself that you're more than the approval rating. I know personally and professionally, I I struggled with being a people pleaser. And, you know, I talked about early in my career, I didn't know how to deal with people that didn't like me or how to tell people no. Um, and so I really 
through learning about conscious discipline and just endeavoring in this leadership journey have learned how to be assertive and how to be clear and kind. And so I would just want myself to have that skill earlier, um, to operate from that confidence and that clarity and just experience, um, the freedom that comes with you know, saying what you need to say. Well, and again, wisdom coming from you because uh, people don't always figure that out. And I think even once we figure it out, it's not always easy to exercise every day, but I really value um, what you're saying in regard to, um, you know, being willing to engage in the conversations and being assertive is important. And I would assume uh, that it's something that you've had to resolve to do. Is that true? I mean, there might be some listeners who are like, yeah, I don't talk. I don't, I don't talk to people. Like, I'm not going to engage in those conversations. Um, what do you do to, to like resolve yourself to engage in those courageous conversations? I think it just goes back to like ethics for me and like, I, and just ultimately I care enough about the, you or the school as an organization to have this conversation. If I didn't care, I wouldn't circle you up and have this campfire meeting right now. And so I think um, it goes back to that passion for me. And I've just read a lot of books to work on the skill. How to Handle Hard to Handle Parents was the first book I read. And I just took, literally typed out the sentence stems and put them by my computer for hard parent conversations. And then I learned, you know, parents are people, teachers are people like it works for all hard conversations. And so through practicing those stems, it just became more natural. Mm. I love it. I also love too, as a woman in leadership, you've got a lot of interesting challenges and I don't care what level you're at. We know this to be the case and being able to be assertive is really critical and it's too easy to fall into that, um, you know, that quadrant in, what is it, Kim Scott in her uh, book about radical candor, that ruinous empathy. (laughs) I just read an article about that. That book's on my list. Oh my goodness. You're going to love it. I think, especially since you came out the gate talking about these courageous conversations, it's, it's really, it's a good one for us all to be thinking about. Like if we, I think sometimes we fall into that pit, like you said, you want people to like you, but you also, you know, you want to be kind. And when we start to learn that truthful is kind, you know, um, that clear is very kind. And, uh, and so it's really good. And you're going to love that one. I think I also figured that out when like, when I had like from a supervisor, I just want to know, am I meeting expectations or not? Am I? And so whenever I think about that, like I want people to just tell me the truth. And so that also makes it easier for me to deliver that message. Like I hear you say that you care about kids, but if you don't X, Y, Z, you're not going to be able to work in this capacity, you know? Right. Well, and it's really good too, because as a a leader who leads with your heart and leads with, um, you know, faith, as you've stated, we, we show love by helping others grow. And, you know, that if you can kind of place it at the base of your heart as a leader, it really changes the dynamic in regard to how you enter those conversations. You know, we show care and love with, for people because we want them to be better. That's that's what we want for ourselves, for the people we lead, for our organizations. And I can clearly hear that coming through from you. That's awesome. Thank you. 
Okay. So uh, another standard question I always ask is if a listener is finding themselves in a pit of fear or doubt and as an influential woman, they need to hear your voice to help them rise up out of it. What do you think you would say? There's something else that I even struggled with leading up into this. And, um, I've always wanted to blend in and just fly below the radar. And recently one of my family members was like, you're just not going to blend in ever. And I was like, (laughs) okay. And so, um, I would just tell them to, um, to be who they are. That's brave and own that you're not set aside. You're set apart and you're created uniquely for a purpose. And, um, it's courageous to own that. It doesn't make it any easier. And recently I feel like it sometimes makes it harder to walk in that purpose and to have that courage, but you won't regret it. That's so good. Uh, and I loved hearing that. I think I needed to hear that from you right now. It was just a good kind of cyclical reminder. So thank you for speaking those words and you were not meant to fly under the radar. That is so true. I can see you all the way here from Northwestern Wisconsin lady. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. I'm so glad that you joined me on the podcast. Um, so how about the listeners? Cause they're going to want to get in touch with you. What do you think is the best way for them to contact you, Amanda? I think probably Twitter or Instagram. Okay. I'll make sure to link those in the show notes as I always do. And I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, if you follow her on Twitter, you're going to see all kinds of wonderful, joyful messages. You're going to see ducks, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) have you been in a duck costume before? Am I just superimposing an image of you next to a mascot? I don't get in the duck costume, but I like to boomerang next to the duck costume. Oh, nice. Okay. So that was my brain just wanting that to happen, Amanda. Maybe you will. Like for my birthday, it's in March. (laughs) It could happen. Okay. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time out of your really wonderfully blessed and called and busy schedule to have this awe-inspiring interview with me. Thank you so much. Speaking of resolve, I slayed some giants in 2019 and I'm thrilled to let my in-off community know that Lead with Faith, building a firm foundation so you can rise up, slay fear, and serve well, launched this month and is available right now. You know I believe there is a mission in all of our messages and I cannot wait to see where this one lands to those who need it. The link is in the show notes as always. Blessings, friends. I continue to be completely awe-inspired by every single guest on this podcast, and I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests, and I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community.